This episode of Good Chat is brought to you by Simmons Homes. Every day across Australia, it's tools up for Team Simmons because their people stand by their promise to start building your new home on time and on budget. So if you're ready to join hundreds of Australians, they're welcoming home each month. Talk to Simmons, the great Australian builder. This episode of Good Chat is with Stephen Quartermain and uh, is a big idol of mine. I grew up listening to Quarters as the voice of uh, Channel 10's footy coverage and also had the privilege of working as a producer on his breakfast program at 3AW during the summer. He is a great man, as I said, and one of the most professional men I've ever met. Uh, As you'll hear in this chat, Quarters has called pretty much every sporting event in the world. Uh, He knows the industry inside and out and is an example of hard work resulting in success. I hope you enjoy hearing about Quarters' journey from strawberry picker to sports commentator. We also play a fun game of Premiership Quarters, which I'm I'm sure you'll love that. And the famous 10 quick questions also ends this one out and uh, this will surely give you uh, a good understanding of the man behind the mic. Hashtag good chat on social to leave any feedback and questions and don't forget to like and subscribe. Here it is. Enjoy a good chat with Stephen Quartermain. Okay, today's guest is one of the most versatile, professional and unflappable media professionals our country has ever seen. Covering such events as the Olympics, Wimbledon, the Ashes and the AFL, he's brought us countless iconic moments we'll never forget. Journalism, news reporting and radio and TV hosting are some more items on his long list of skills. And when asked about three words to sum up this man, his friends and co-workers told me, family, Hawthorne and food. I'm super excited to <laughs> chat to him today. Stephen Quartermain, you star. <laughs> family, Hawthorne and food. Well, yeah. that's probably can chuck in wine and we've got the quadrilla. That's right, exactly. And, and speaking of food and wine, we start with an icebreaker question on the on the podcast. It's thanks to the Footy Live app. Would you rather your kids support Geelong or never be able to eat out at a restaurant again? Uh, never be able to eat out at a restaurant again. Oh, geez, that was a quick answer. Yeah. That's yeah, it. It's Hawthorne in this house or nothing. I told them as soon as they could talk and walk that if they didn't break for Hawthorne, they could find uh, somewhere else to live. <laughs> That's it. So you'd give up food and wine. That's massive. Because for you, it was very different. And you could have supported Melbourne. It was very, very close to supporting Melbourne. So your first ever game at the MCG, if the Ds had to beat Hawks, you would have been a Melbourne man. It's very true, actually. It was uh, before you were even thought of. I think it was 1969, and we'd been living in uh, New York and London. Yeah. We came back to Sydney for some reason or other. This is a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. And my dad was invited to a game between Hawthorne and Melbourne at the MCG. So he dragged me along. I was seven, six or seven. Yeah. And I can remember the game. And I, what I can really remember is after the game, Hawthorne won, they smashed him. I think a bloke called Peter Hudson kicked 13 or 14 goals. Yeah. And there was young players like Lee Matthews playing. And I went into the rooms and I was introduced to the players and they were so nice. That's all I can remember. They were really nice and they you know, gave me a pat on the head and shook my hand. Anyway, went, yeah. went back went back and lived to Sid- lived in Sydney and I can remember turning on the telly and watching the 1971 grand final. Oh, yeah, but that was Hawthorne Melbourne again, wasn't it? No, that was Hawthorne St Kilda. Oh, St Kilda. Hawthorne and uh, remember, remem- yeah. remembered the Hawks and remembered the players and thought, that's the team I'm going to support. Yeah. So thank yeah. goodness Melbourne didn't win in 69 and went down to their rooms. I would have had a life of misery <laughs> until last year. That's right. Only one year of uh, success you would have had. So living <laughs> overseas, I mean, that's massive for, for a young kid. I mean, you're extremely versatile in the way you've done things in media and, and, and different things. Do you reckon that helped you kind of speak to different people along your career? Because I remember when I lived overseas, it kind of opens up your mind and you think about things a different way. It must be a great experience to do that at a young age. 
Yeah, I was I was very young and didn't remember a lot about the United States, but certainly yeah. remembered plenty about living in the UK. It does. I mean, you, you become a very self-sufficient in a way. I was really chucked around. I went to about eight schools in about six years at one stage. Hmm. We really were very transient because of my dad's job. And uh, it, it, it taught you to be self-sufficient, to be versatile and to uh, think on your feet. So I, yeah. I, I agree with it. I actually think it, it did sort of uh, shape the way I became. Yeah, yeah, that was a journal as well, wasn't he? Uh, he was a journal, but he, then he would work. He helped set up offices in New York and London for what was known then as the Australian Tourist Commission. So, so basically, selling Australia overseas. Yeah, well, and it was was he a Kiwi originally? And your yeah, mum was born, English. Born, yeah. You've done your homework, mate. He was. He was, <laughs> he was born in. Uh, he was born in New Zealand. My mum was born in England. So I was. Yeah. I was actually the only quarter main born in in Australia. I was born in Melbourne in Wan Turner. If you know where Wan Turner is, I do you know. Where I'm in, I'm in Baronia at the moment, so I'm around the corner. Yeah. So um, and I, I left I left uh, the shores when I was about two, as I said, and then lived in uh, lived in New York and lived in in London and then lived in Melbourne, Sydney. Melbourne, Sydney, Melbourne, I think, something like that. <laughs> did you did you end up being a, a strawberry picker at one stage? Was that one of your first jobs? That would have been my second job. My first job was delivering rag bags, which is what the people leave at your front door to put old clothes in. Oh, yeah. And then I became a strawberry picker at the ripe old age of 12, and then I worked in a butcher's at 13. See, it's a few jobs, Cordes. Yeah, and Very then nice. papers and then Maccas. And then Maccas. Which Maccas did you work at? Croydon. <laughs> Good old Croydon <laughs> Maccas. Brilliant. Hey, but footy for you, because oh, you're in love with footy, but you started footy a little bit later on. So I think it, you said around 11 or something like that, because obviously you brought up uh, not around a footy family. So it was kind of, was it soccer, cricket, that sort of thing early on? And then footy you fell in love with and started playing around 11? Well, I played rugby union because my dad was oh, a Kiwi. Union. And then yeah. I started playing sport when we moved to Sydney. Uh, and rugby union was the choice of sport up there for the schools I went to. So I played rugby union until I was about 10 up there, came down here and played. In fact, I played rugby union for Croydon, which was one of the few teams that were going. But after about three weeks getting knocked out by blokes that are about three times my weight, my dad said, no, nah, give this up. Yeah. So I took up Aussie rules at 12, I think, 11 or 12. So, yeah, I was a late starter compared to everyone else. That's right. What position did you play, though? What kind of? Uh, well, I played in the ruck because I was this tall when I was eleven. Oh, really? I was, about, up, yeah. I was over six foot when I was eleven, but didn't grow much more. I was, ended up being about six two. But then I played mainly uh, full back or full forward. Yeah. Nice. So, who was your Who was your kind of hero growing up, like as a player? Lee Matthews. Lee Matthews had to be, and, well, especially uh, when you meet him the first time. Correct. So Lee Matthews um, and. Peter Hudson, Peter Knights were the ones that I really loved uh, growing up, yeah. yeah. And even a bloke who you might not even know called Michael Moncrief. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Michael yeah. Moncrief because he played full forward and he he had a, actually an outstanding career and he was basically following the footsteps of Peter Hudson until Peter came back for a year in 77. Yeah. So, but, but mainly Lee Matthews was my hero, yeah. Yeah, nice. Hey, you, well, you had to give it up eventually. I think you said around 21, but you did your HSC, 1979. I think you're already working, bang, cadet straight away, 1980. Yeah. Wood, Croydon, Mail. Correct. Paper, yeah, yeah straight away. Four, about four weeks out of um, what we called HSC then, which is yeah. now VCE. I got VCE, a cad- yeah. cadetship with uh, leader newspapers and I started at the Ringwood, Croydon, Mail. So I was only 17 and a half, basically, and bang, I was into it. So I've been in journalism since then. So what am I now? 
42 years. Yeah, it's, it's huge. It's I mean, and, and you stayed at Channel, Channel 10 for, for a long, long time, but before then, obviously the ABC. But I was going to say, it's always high paying. I think if at the 68 bucks a week after tax was... Uh, was you, the you've done your homework, home. James. <laughs> oh, you have to. You, you yeah. taught me that. When I worked with you in breakfast, you said you've got to do your homework, James. Don't $68 come a pay. week after tax. Yeah. That was it. It was a fortune. We'll be back after a quick break. That's it. And at ABC, how was ABC? Because you didn't do sports straight away, was it? Politics and yeah. police rounds, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I, I went. I got a. I only served two years in my cadetship, and then got poached by the ABC, and that was absolutely brilliant experience. Started in radio, and then ended up doing radio and telly. But they trained you to do everything from being a director to shooting to all the technical aspects of of television and radio. And yeah, I did police rounds, politics industrial finance and then I sort of um, double up on the weekend because there was very little people interested in sport so I did sport and all of a sudden at the age of uh, 20, 21 I was covering things like Australian Opens, Ashes Tests, Grand Finals, golf, you name it, every big event in Melbourne I went there because no one else was interested so I was just sitting there being a sport lover going how good is this? Yeah. So never, it was never, you weren't um, like nervous or anything like that when you got thrown into the deep end? Did you oh, sure. Embrace it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I mean, I was a boy from Ringwood. <laughs> I hadn't seen any of the world. So I was as, as nervous as, but you, there, there's a bit of bluff and there's a bit of just flying by the seat of your pants. And yeah. I think most of us at that age do the same thing. So I, I just threw myself in there. And, you know, I, I ended up running into lots of legends of the business, particularly when I was involved in in sport at the ABC mm. and, and the legends of, of footy and horse racing and cricket. I, I met them all and worked alongside them all, and they were all so nice to me, knowing that I, knowing that I was very young and wet behind the ears. And they were all absolutely terrific, and I learned a lot just sitting there watching them. Yeah, I think you said one time you did the you did a test match early on, and you went in the rooms, and there was Tomo there having a beer, having a cigarette, and that sort of thing. And Kim Hughes was there, and they were a bit. In, it's an in, in, intimidating pack to walk into. Did you? You know, you must have felt uh, a pretty intimidated sometimes. Did you ever um, stumble across your words, or did you always kind of find a way to get it done? Uh, I, I remember the, actually. I remember that day. I, I was at the APC. That was the famous test when Alan Border and Jeff Thompson almost scored that incredible victory. That was my first mass match I covered for the ABC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And went into the rooms afterwards and uh, uh, I won, uh, Tomo was sitting in the corner very down and out and I went up yeah. to interview him because back then there was no media passes. The, mm. the, the media group, clan was very small and yeah. basically stuck a mic up and 
up his nose and said, can we have a couple of words? And he was really good. Yeah. And as he's about to talk, I think it was it was either Kim Hughes or Greg Chappell, I'm pretty sure it was Kim Hughes that told me to, in no uncertain terms to, <laughs> <laughs> to leave the premises. So, at, at, hey, it's all part of it. And, yeah. uh, look, I, not, nothing I hadn't heard before, but it, it, it was all a bit, yeah, and terrible. You just have a go when you're young. You know, you just have a go. And as I said, 99.9% of the time, people were terrific. That was a, yeah. it was a, it was a hard day for them. They just lost a, an incredible right. test match. So I can understand. And I, I, you know, no, no grudges held or anything. It was just still part of the job. I mean, that's not the first time that happened to me or nor the last. <laughs> that's right. How do you, do you ever, um, you know, it's hard not to take things personally when you're in the media sometimes. How do you kind of, were you always good at dealing with that and going, you know, oh, that's all right. Next time we'll be fine. Or do you kind of take it? personally at, at times maybe when you were younger it was a bit bit harder yeah. yeah when you're young you do take everything personal i mean you want to make an impression you yeah. want to be everyone's mate but particularly in the art of journalism that's not reality and uh, unfortunately over the years you know you um you ended up with fractured friendships and relationships with um people people that you're you're reporting on because that's just the nature of the business because life isn't always a better roses bad things mm. happen and it's your job to report on them and i've been yelled at hundreds of times and yeah. threatened with defamation and threatened with a punch <laughs> in the nose and all sorts of stuff. But it's all part of the game. And it, as you get older, you honestly, it's like now it's, you, it's, you don't even blink about it. But when you're mm. young, yeah, of course, because you're trying to make an impression, you want to have a good reputation. But as you get older, you realise that how the business works and uh, how many fibs are told. <laughs> uh, so you, you just... Yeah, you just roll with the punches. Now I, I you know, I still want to. I, I've always tried to be respectful. I, yeah. I think that's why I've, in journalism, I've been in it for so long because I've always tried to be respectful. I've always tried to, you know, when I'm being told something off the record, I certainly have never breached that trust. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's important, but at the same time, you know, things happen in the, in the game. That's the way it is. It's a very volatile industry. So you just, yeah. as I said, as you get older, you you don't care really much. Yeah, well, you you are very respectful, and people respect you for that. And I think even at a young age, you must have been well respected because at the races, uh, Bruce McAvaney and Eddie Maguire basically said, "Hey, we want you at Channel 10. Yeah. and they kind of poached you that way. How did that come about? Well, I was working, I was doing the Melbourne Cup Carnival for the ABC, yeah. and I'd run into Bruce and Eddie on jobs. Okay. Uh, and as it turned out, they were looking for someone to come in, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I think it was actually in the betting in the in the members' betting ring, and and Bruce said, uh, "We got a job going. Are you interested?" I said, "Yeah." And then Eddie said, "We'll come in." And anyway, so Eddie set up a interview with David Johnson, who was the the head honcho and the famous newsreader, and yeah, yeah. I went in there the next week and had a chat, and uh, yeah, they offered me a job, and that was. Uh, that was well. That was December '84 because yeah, I met him at the races and went in the next week. And I started at ten and on December the tenth, nineteen eighty-four. Yeah, geez, that's, yeah, twenty-two years old. You were are you still close with Ed and and uh, Bruce? Uh, well, we're not we're not socially close anymore. Unfortunately, yeah. I mean Bruce lives in South Australia yeah. and um, Eddie's sort of so busy. We certainly we're certainly mates. We yeah. certainly we always talk on not so much with Bruce, but Eddie and I always talk on phone. But socially, you know, we, I guess we've drifted apart. We've got yeah. our busy lives and families and all that sort of stuff. So no, not like it, not like the good old days, but we're yeah. still we're certainly still friends and there's 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 no falling out. But you know, your lives drift apart. It's just yeah. natural. Yeah, one of one of the first or well, biggest experiences I've heard you speak about is the nineteen eighty eight Olympics in Seoul in, in South Korea. And you said that that experience kind of made you and you learnt, 
how, a bit like myself when I'm watching you work for, for breakfast. You learn how people prepare and the professionalism and, and that sort of thing. That was your your the favourite experience you had in terms yeah, of coverage was, sport? Again, that was my first big overseas trip and yeah, I, my dad uh, has, has been an Olympics nut his yeah. whole life and uh, so I've always I was always brought up loving the Olympics, and uh, when I went there in '88, I was again still very wet behind the ears, and mm. and working with legends of the business, and I'm talking legends of the business, and again just sitting there and learning, and basically they gave me carte blanche, so I basically spent those two weeks doing whatever I wanted, and fortunately made some good decisions after receiving some sage advice, and went yeah. to certain venues, and ended up getting very lucky with a few of the stories <laughs> that fell in my lap. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about Laurie Lawrence because did, you, you were going to go to the tennis first day or something like that, and he said, "No, no, no, you you come to the swimming or something like that." And you ended up getting the, the Duncan Armstrong story, and you got slapped around, nearly broke your jaw. Correct. Well, Laurie, <laughs> Laurie even then had a bit of a reputation, and uh, I remember the day before I was doing a tennis preview, and I think I was interviewing a couple of Aussies or American mm-hmm. tennis player, and I ended up roll, walking across the road to the gymnastics centre, and I was watching mm-hmm. the gymnastics prepare, and Laurie Lawrence was there for some reason. And we got talking and uh, he said, what are you doing tomorrow, son? And I said, um, I'm going to the tennis. He goes, no, you're not going to the tennis, mate. <laughs> he said, come and watch one of my blokes swim, Duncan Armstrong. I said, oh, really? He said, he's going to do well anyway. So I said, oh, well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take you up on that. I'll come and see you before the race and we'll see yeah. what happens. So I basically roll up with no plans, no preconceived ideas, and uh, as it turns out, you know, Duncan Duncan made the final, and uh, I said to myself and the camera, and so I tell you what we'll do. He said all the race is covered. Let's just keep a camera on Laurie and see what happens. Yeah, and uh, bang, <laughs> <laughs> that footage is brilliant. I watched it the other day. So good. If people haven't seen it, go on YouTube. Have, have a look at it. It's uh, you got you got smashed. Yeah, it gave me a couple of whacks, but it was fine. I've got a bad worse than that. But it was funny because back then there was no such thing as mobile phones and yeah. you could barely ring home on a normal phone. Mm. And by the time the Bush Telegraph got back to Australia, the, my mum got a phone call from someone. She was at work saying, your son's been attacked in Seoul <laughs> and he's got a broken jaw. <laughs> it couldn't have been further from the truth. It was just a couple of whacks oh. around the around the chops. It was all good, but, uh, no, it was uh, it was. One of the great days of my life, and that, and those two weeks were still two of the greatest weeks of my life work-wise. It was just great. Met so many people, as I said, mm-hmm. learned so much by watching uh, pros in action like Bruce McAvaney and mm-hmm. the late Mike Gibson, to name just a couple, and it was great. Yeah. Hey, coverage back then was, was so, so different, and there was no media departments, that sort of thing. Like when you're covering the footy, you could you literally had to, you could call players direct or, mm. or sometimes I've heard yeah. you say you even knocked on their door and just yeah, yeah. up and asked for a quote. So mm. It's so different than oh, yeah. what it is today. What was it like back then? Because journos were, I heard they'd go out with, with the players that have drinks with them and they'd build a, a rapport and it was a kind of better environment to be. What do you think of that style as opposed to what it is today? Oh, it's so much better. The, the, the amount of media covering the game with, in the 30s, probably yeah. 30 people in, in the media association, mm. uh, and you met, you met the footballers at training, you met them at nightclubs, you met them at bars, you met them at social functions. You, that's how you, you got your contacts, by being friends with them, earning respect, earning trust. Uh, and if there was ever a story, we would just we'd have their numbers, and we'd ring them at home and say, "Can we come and do an interview?" And there was no such thing as media managers, or yeah. occasionally we'd go through the the footy manager or something like that. But generally, we would just give them a call and we'd say, "Can we come around and interview about this or that?" And 
we did. We knocked on their front door and away we went. There was none of that stuff now. So much, much better times. These days, you know, how many how many journos are in the media? Well over a 1,000, probably heading towards 2,000. And you've got media managers. Some are okay. Some are good. Some are shocking. Yeah. They don't even know what the game's about. <laughs> um, and the players are so protected. I can understand why with social media. It's, mm. you know, there was no social media back then, thank God. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the, the landscape has changed a lot. But those days were brilliant. And, and you know, we had such great rapport with the players. It was, yeah. it was fantastic. But even for the fans, were the fans a lot closer to their their players? It felt like more of, the, you know, you get now the local footy yeah. after the games, you go yeah. and have a beer with the boys, that sort of thing. There was more, I don't know if there was more of an emotional attachment, but these days it feels like the players are very, very distant from, from oh. the fans because of the access. Mm. You, like, you know, even when we see documentaries and that sort of thing, you know, clubs are opposed to it because they don't want to say the wrong thing. They want to have the right messages. Do you think it's a bit too strict these days? That's the world we live in. Yeah. That's the world we live in, uh, unfortunately. Much better those days. We had, as I said, the players, after they had aftermatch. The, player, the f- players from the two teams and the umpires got together. You had aftermatches, then the players used to head back to a social club. You had pleasant Sunday mornings. Mm. Uh, training wasn't roped off. Uh, all that sort of stuff. You can easily go into the rooms before and after games. Yeah. Great times. But, yeah, completely different now. It's a lot more professional now. Um, the players earn a lot more money, of course, but uh, <laughs> they were, looking back now, looking at it now, it's 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 so clinical and and so manufactured compared to what it used to be like. Yeah. And yeah, but but the, the players need to be protected, I suppose, given yeah. given social media. Yeah, that's true. Hey, you were very close with the Hawthorne boys. I think was there a time when you used to go out with them quite a bit? Was there a Chevron nightclub or something like that? And one time uh, you, you got a whack from one of the one of the fans who was there. <laughs> Oh, in the boys. We were very close. We I, I went out every weekend with the Hawthorne boys pretty much during the <laughs> footy season yeah. um, to the f- point where Dermot Burton and I shared a house for oh, a couple of years probably. Oh, I live with Dermot. Yeah, What's so he Dermot like to live with? Uh, uh, great. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. I could have written 10 books. Uh, that was at the height of his career. His, his yeah. girlfriend actually was my flatmate. Okay. So yeah. Dermot spent a lot of time there. So, yeah, I was very close to the Hawthorne boys and uh, – uh, went out all the time, went to the races, played golf, you know, went to bars, clubbing, restaurants, all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, we were, we were, we were close. Yeah. Also in the 90s, the, the NBL, you were the voice of the NBL. How, how, do, how big was it? Because I was a bit too young to say, but you've said it's, it was up there with footy. Like, it, was there a stage where it was as big as footy or even bigger for, for a short amount of time? Yeah, for probably for one year, the uh, the end, the AFL well, VFL was really struggling financially. They were all the clubs were broke. Well, most mm. of the clubs were broke, and the NBL basically riding on the coattails of Michael Jordan were, it was absolutely flying. The yeah. crowds were sellouts. You know, fifteen thousand every Friday or Saturday night at the tennis centre. Uh, TV was growing great. Uh, they were making money. The players at one stage, the basketballs were earning more than the footballers, probably for a period of two years. Yeah, and yeah. probably one year, 92, 93, basketball probably uh, got in front, got its nose in front of footy, but very quickly the AFL got its act together uh, and uh, put an end to that. And the NBL unfortunately lost its way uh, and then suffered years uh, years in the wilderness, which, which was no good. But it's great to see it's really back in town now yeah. but yeah just for a period of that early 90s yeah the, it, it was huge it was it was great and it was a great time of my life it's the first time i i did commentary per se um 
and uh, taught me a lot and met some unbelievable people and you know the games were great uh yeah it was it was another fun time in my life mm. hey speaking of commentary what about the footy that was the the best coverage in my lifetime i think the channel 10 coverage that we had when you were leading the way commentated what you know when i speak to my mates as well and everybody loved it what was it about it wasn't you know there was a few different things not just the uh the count up clock the five minute warning that was brilliant <laughs> they need to bring that back what was it about that coverage that you thought worked so well uh no egos no egos yeah uh it's all about what happens out there not what happens in the box uh very close friendly knit unit great management great production it's a whole gamut of things but as far as commentary goes you yeah, was leave your ego at the door it's all about you know what happens out there yeah. and how to make that the best product yes yeah with the commentary on the channel 10 i was talking to beaver the other day bruce even he said his first ever game commentating he didn't have any previous practice commentating footy and he just thought yeah look i could do this and he and he did it how did you feel because you commentated different sports but what about footy how different is that and when was your first experience of actually commentating a game of footy uh, my first experience uh, footy was I was doing basketball and I was approached by Ricky Nixon, uh, oh. who was the king of uh, management at the time, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and he put together a team for Magic. Uh, and it was me, Kevin Bartlett, uh, Tony Shaw, who just retired, uh, Barry Round, Matt Rendell, one of the great, the, what, probably the funnest year I ever had footy yeah. commentary it was a great team and we did really really well to the point that at the end of the year after one year aw basically came in and bought the station and dismantled us <laughs> <laughs> so it was great fun it was uh, so i basically just got thrown in the deep end again but yep. you you do your homework i, I particularly with, uh, with basketball because i had no no experience in basketball but also with football i just basically sat watch games, put on a mic, a tape, tape recorder and away I went or put a footy game on and press the mute button and just commentated over the top. So uh, I, I didn't sort of throw myself in. I did a lot of preparation and practice before I actually went on air. And, mm-hmm. uh, but every, every game you do, I think, in every game you call in footy or whatever whatever you're calling, you, every game you get better, I think. You get more confident and more relaxed and mm. learn tricks of the trade. But that was a great year, Magic. And then we got dismantled and uh, had a year out. Uh, and then came back in and a station called Triple M started. And yes. so uh, that was as exciting as magic, particularly early on. It was great times. And, again, Ricky Nixon was involved helping put the team together and it was me and Eddie, uh, BT, uh, oh, all, all the larrikins of the time. It was yeah. it was Dr. Larkins, Pete Larkins came in, who, who was, a, uh, who was yeah. revolutionary in the way he covered uh, the boundary line and with yeah. our technology was great. Uh, it was that was also a, a great time in my life, exciting time. Yeah, everyone's interested in this. Is it how how it actually works uh, in the commentary box? So how do you know when to come in? Is it you build a rapport with the, your co-commentator and you kind of tap each other on the shoulder, or do you give each other a look, or how does it actually work on the day and who takes the first bounce, that sort of thing? How does that all work, Quarters? Just uh, it's it's a matter of again, once you've called with someone a few times, you know the the body language and the yeah. and the teamwork how it works. But usually, yeah, it's just a look or a tap. Um, someone just say you, you take the first bounce. It's just communication, but usually in in the game, it's um, it's just a tap or a, or a look. But yeah, once you, as you said, once you've worked with someone a few times, you get to know each other's style and and when to come in and come out. So yeah, it's teamwork. Yeah, basically. did you 
Did yeah. you get a tap before the Leo Barry moment? Is that, uh... <laughs> no, well, we had yeah. – it was funny that that was a crazy time because uh, we had the count – we didn't have the yeah, uh, count blockers, you know. So I, yeah. I, and I hated knowing – a few of the boys in the box occasionally would sneak into the production truck and oh, say, okay. uh, what, how, much, how long to go? But I never did because I reckon that's one of the greatest aspects yeah. is not knowing how long there is to go. Mm. And I think a couple of the guys knew – how long there was to go? I had no idea, and it was absolutely mayhem in the box, as you can imagine. It was, yeah. it was so close, and it was so tense. And I had, I was doing the Norm Smith judging that day, and I had Patrick Keane behind me saying, "Give me the Norm Smith vote." I said, "Mate, you know, scores a level or whatever. Give us a break." So it was, yeah. it was mayhem in the box, and uh, yeah, I wish if someone had a camera on what was going on in there, it would have been hilarious. But we got the job done in the end, which was, yeah. which was, in, uh, which was great. But. Crazy! That was crazy. <laughs> what a moment as well. And you, know, and you obviously didn't plan that, and like you said, no. and and something you, Leo Barry, you star. You never really call people stars, do you? No. It just came out. Just came out. Yeah, I, I no, again, no, no preconceived idea what to do, and and honestly, it was so loud you couldn't even hear. I I, I couldn't even hear when the siren went. All I only realised the siren had gone because. That they started putting their hands in the air and they'd won. It was it yeah. was there no no preconceived ideas, no idea how long I want to go. It was just yeah, it just just came out, I suppose. Yeah. When did you realise it was such a big moment? I know you go out for dinner. Do you get your Chinese meal after every grand final? You go out and eat Chinese. Did you realise that then that it was no, a big no, moment? not at all. Not not for ages. No, for ages, really. no. I just did the job and uh, just went out for dinner like I used to do on grand final night. So no, I, I, I honestly, I can honestly say I gave it no thought. I just think I, I the end was good. Yeah. Um. We, you know, we got it right, but I didn't go back and listen to it for a while and until a few people said, "Oh, it was really good." But no, it was not 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 from. No, not for ages, actually. Not, it's not something I thought of. I just did my job and I'm not one to look back and yeah. at games, which I should, I suppose, because that's how you improve. But once something's done, I, I just move on. So, yeah. Uh, so, but so you, don't, you don't look back at games. You don't. don't not really. The only time I ever look back is if I think I've made a bad mistake. Oh, really? <laughs> but I, I'm not one to look back. Once I do something, I. I you know, I move on, which is probably a little bit unprofessional. I should probably review everything I do and try and improve. But no, once something's done, it's done. You can't change it anyway. So you just move on to the next. Hey, this is a good segue into a little segment I wanted to do quickly with you. It's called Premiership Quarters. Mm-hmm. I've got four quotes from uh, you in, in, in grand finals, mm-hmm. in premierships, and you have to tell me what game it's from. Oh, God, okay. So see if you've, you've listened right. back. We'll see. First one here. What grand final was that? Uh, that would be the uh, Brisbane Collingwood Thriller. Mm-hmm. Is that the one? Yep. Uh, yep. Which the Lions won in the wet. Yes, yeah. 2002. Correct. Yeah, the yeah, tight one. At the that, punt road end. It was punt road end. Yeah. To the left of the screen. Yes, yeah. correct. All right, next one. A little bit more difficult, we'll see. This was at the end of the game, so you had, you had the moment here. Okay. There it is. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. The Cats proved themselves as one of the greatest teams of the modern era. That was Geelong after winning their third. Yeah, against yeah. the Pies. Correct. Yeah, it was funny because Hutto, I was calling with Hutto and I said to Hutto, mate, because he's a Geelong boy, I said, yeah, yeah. if you want the end when the siren goes, um, mm-hmm. you take it. And he said, no, 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 you do it. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> so that was, uh, I had to come up with something very quickly. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> 
All right, two more. You're two from two. This is brilliant. All right. Ablett's out. Oh, he's yeah, up. he is. Johnson, can he pop it over the top? Ablett somehow has found some space. Oh. At the last minute, Zach Dawson spills it. And then what happens? Oh, Zach Dawson. So that would be the Geelong's from Kill. Was that the, was that the little soccer off the ground? Yes, yeah, the toe poke. The toe poke? It. But a clever soccer by Scarlett to Ablett from 18 metres. He draws it long to the tip of the goal square. Big flyers wanted. Yes. What a moment that was. Jeez, my memory is not as bad as I thought That's it was. What, no, brilliant. Well done. <laughs> You're three from three. Here's the last one. See if you can get this one. All right. This was late in the game. Could we have a draw? I'll go with it now as the ball's kicked to the 50. Huge pack fly. Stend line. Buchanan put the head down. Got it out to O'Keefe. Oh. Kick smothered. What game was that? Could it be a draw? The game it was a smother. No, you got me on that one. Really? The last one? It's a bit tough. Daniel Chick makes the smother. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yep. Chick smothers and uh, was it Hunter that kicked the yes, goal? Yes, Hunter kicks the goal. That's right. Chick. Hunter. Eagles by seven. Yes. I'll give you that one. Four out of four. That's pretty good. <laughs> Premiership quarters. Well done, mate. Thank you. I love that. It was good. It's those moments because you'd be so you'd be nervous because you know it's going to be replayed over and over again, don't yeah. you? Yeah, it's again, it's something you can't afford to think about because yeah. that's when you can make a mistake. So you just go with the you just go with your natural in- instincts because if you're thinking about that, that's when you will make mistakes. Mm. So you just try. I think in the when you're in the heat of the moment, you don't you don't you really don't you're just concentrating. And to be honest, in, in some ways, the grand final is the easiest game to call because mm. you've seen the teams. Yeah, you know, ten times during the year, so that you know the players off by heart. Yeah, yeah. The only time I reckon you you do you do, do get tense at the end of it's close, and we were lucky. We had a whole series of grand finals that were thrillers, um, and you, you know you don't you know deep down you don't want to stuff it up because you're right, it's there forever. But you can't really afford to think about it when you're in the heat of the moment. You just go with yeah, you're just doing what you do, so you just hope you get it right. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be nothing worse. I mean, it's, I mean, I've made mistakes. Don't worry, I made plenty of mistakes calling, and you, and then yeah. and you look back and you go, ah, you know, bad. But what can you do? That's right. It's got to move on. Fortunately, it hasn't been with the money shot. Yeah, well, that's right. You haven't. Yeah. You're a clutch, clutch player. Well, um, and something else you do well is is hosting on radio. How have you enjoyed it? At three well, you really come into your own, and you get to show yeah. your personality. Yeah, you love it. Yeah, I love it. Look, I love news. I've always been a newsman, and yeah. and that's that's what I been doing for decades but uh it is it is pretty clinical <laughs> you're reading scripts and there's no time for yeah there's no uh, allowance for personal opinions or very rarely and when you do you usually get yourself in trouble if you have an opinion but uh <laughs> yeah it's a very clinical job in some respects uh, it's a fun job i like it but radio is great you can just be yourself and it's just the it's just the relaxed conversation i think that's when i I'm enjoying myself the most when you yeah. there's no scripts you're just there talking and and you just again go with the flow and I I really do love radio yeah it's mm. it's great so um who knows what the future holds but uh yeah it's it's a great job I love it and it's a it's a great team at AW and they uh, the breakfast team do you know the production is the, the way they do it is amazing and it yeah. makes your job so easy and it's just great fun I love it even they have to get up so early I, you know yeah it's just a, the price you pay. It doesn't bother me too much, but uh, I, I really, I really enjoy doing that. Yeah. 
Yeah, good. Did you did you take a lot from you know when you did the panel? Um, mm. so it was late nineties, early two thousands, I think, and, yeah. and I was a bit young for that. But people said it was like essential watching. Yeah. It was it was like I don't want to compare it to the project, but it was sort of that vibe where you you spoke about the news, but there was a few comedians there, and you and mm. you, and you worked you worked well with them. Did you do you take a lot from that? Did, was there a lot of things you learned from that? Um, oh yeah, that program. Yeah, those people, the working dog people, are geniuses. Yeah. And they're just fantastic people to work with. And it's very different to the project. The, the project is a lot of it's very scripted and uh, regimented, whereas the panel, there was none of that. We weren't even allowed to talk to each other before the show. Oh, really? About That's, what yeah. we were talking about. So it was a bit different to the project. It was all unrehearsed and yeah. completely ad-libbed. Yes, we had segments and clips and whatever, but yeah. uh, only the people who were driving those clips knew what they, what they were about. So there was a, a huge element of surprise and ad-libbing yeah. and, again, flying by the seat of your pants. So you did learn some really good skills there and working with those people, they're just brilliant and again, I yeah, they they taught me a lot, and it was a, a, it was an honour to be involved in those. What was it? Seven, eight years? Yeah, yeah, yeah great, great show. I'd love to see it back. But uh, working dog, they they that's the way they operate. They have this amazing success, and mm. they always get out on top. <laughs> yeah. What What would you want to do in the future if you could have your own your own show, your own quarter main show? What would, What show would you do? Uh, it wouldn't go to air because I. <laughs> I'd be sued for defamation after about three minutes. <laughs> That's good. Maybe you should have your own podcast quarters and just go. No, go no, you can still get sued on podcast. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, That's the trick. That, that's the trap with podcasts. People yeah, think no one's going to, you know, no one's going to, uh, no one of any importance is going to hear it. No mm. lawyers are going to hear it. But uh, it doesn't work that way. Once yeah. you're on air, you're on air. So you've got to be careful with a live microphone, uh, as yeah. we saw recently with Rebecca Madden and <laughs> Mike Amor. Um, you've got to be careful. Yeah, you'd, like, you'd love to do a show without the threat of defamation. That would be yeah. fun. But, uh, look, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm... Well, I think one of the things I like to I like I like variety. I like to do a whole host of different things. So yeah. uh, if someone puts something in front of me, and yeah, I'll I'll think about it and have a go. But I, I do love radio. Radio is fantastic. So mm. I'd like to do more radio. Um, yep. We'll see what happens. But I've got to be I've got to be asked, don't I? But yeah, yeah. I, I really do love radio. So it's a it's a medium I would like to uh, yeah explore more heavily in the in the years to come. Yeah. Hey, Quarters, before I ask you your 10 quick questions to finish off, just quickly on the Hawks mm-hmm. this year, how do you see Sammy Mitchell um, taking this group and, and what are your expectations? How did you feel about that, by the way, with the, with the whole Clarko Mitchell? Uh, it was very poorly handled. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very poorly handled. Uh, and uh, now there's things in place where I think you'll, you'll find a, a big change in, at, at board level over the next couple of years. That's already started. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a shame it did end that way. Uh, I don't, looking back now, I think it's probably a good time for change. Uh, you know, Sam's untried, but he's a very intelligent man. I, I think, I personally think he'll do very well this year. I think Hawks will actually go okay. Yeah. They haven't got a bad list, and there's a few of the older types that would, that they tried to move on that's probably got a point to prove. Yeah. So yeah. I think they'll be competitive. That. Uh, you know they're not going to win the flag, but uh, I, I think they'll be they'll be competitive. But uh, as a Hawthorne supporter, they need a couple of star forwards and about three more midfielders. That's the back line. I think is pretty sorted. Um, got a couple of good young ruckmen, but I think we probably need three more midfielders and uh, at least one star forward. That'd be nice. Mm. But uh, no, they're they're on that. They won't. Uh, I believe they're on the way up again. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how long that takes, who knows? But uh, look, Sam's the coach and I fully you know, support him and and uh, I'm looking forward to see what he can produce. He's a very, very smart, driven man. And uh, I think it's a good, a really good appointment. I'm, I'm looking forward to see how he goes. Yep. And I'm looking forward to reading your tweets throughout the year. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> 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 we'll see what happens. Hey, 10 quick questions, quarters. Let's do it. All right. Uh, your favourite dish to cook? Just just char-grilled steak. Yeah. And Apparently you're an amazing cook as well. And my duck fat potatoes. Duck fat potatoes? Mm, or goose fat potatoes. Oh. Roast potatoes. Yeah, nice. Uh, favourite movie? Dr- a draw between The Deer Hunter and Rocky. The Deer Hunter? I've never seen that. Oh, do yourself a favour. Yeah, The Deer Hunter. Okay. The Deer Hunter. Uh, best person you've ever interviewed? Best person I've ever interviewed? You've done a few. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'll tell you the favourite person I used to interview, and you, you might be shocked by this, but we had a really good relationship and he looked after me big time when he was a really big star. Yeah. Mark Jacko Jackson. Oh, really? He was fantastic and yeah. he just got it. He was way ahead of his time in a lot of ways. Yeah, he entertainment. He his own purposes. And every time I interviewed Jacko, it was it was side splitting. It was great. He was great. He always looked after me. So yeah, yeah Jacko answer. was always hilarious. That was a surprise from Whitfield. Yeah, there you go. Worst person you've interviewed. I thought Jacko might have come up in that one. Uh, nah. Worst person. Oh, there's been disasters Has left, there? right, and centre over the. Oh, yeah, people that don't give you anything. Oh yeah, there's always there's plenty of shockers. People yeah. that don't want to be there. People that don't want to talk. Yeah, just lots of disasters. Uh, is a lot, it, of the, my... lot of the lot of the coaches and the. Uh, a lot of the coaches in the eighties didn't give you much. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, that was always intimidating as a young man. Yeah, well, yeah. Who was a co- real? What about Malthouse? What was Malthouse like? To well, I had a great Mick was very prickly, as you know, but I had yeah. a great. I have no issue with Mick at all. I had a really? great relationship with Mick, so I know I, Mick was terrific. Can't speak oh. highly enough of Mick. Like oh, him. Yeah. All right. Um, if they made a movie about your life, who would you suggest to be casted to play you? <laughs> Other than Brad Pitt, of course. Of course. <laughs> uh, Christopher Walken. <laughs> Christopher Walken. <laughs> oh, that'd be a classic. Hey, all right. Channel 10, get the, get the AFL broadcast rights again. You're leading the team. Yeah. Anyone you want, any rival network, who's commentating alongside you, who's doing special comments, who's boundary right? You pick your team. Uh, I'd call with uh, Anthony Hudson. Yeah. Choice. Or Tim Lane. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're my two faves. Yeah. Special comments. Robert Walls. Robert Walls. How good was Walls here? Loving. He was great after the game too. I'm, I'd be more than happy to have Robert Walls and Malcolm Blight back by my side. I, yeah. Okay, you know, their time's moved on, but uh, nah, nah. Wallsy. <laughs> and boundary line, just yeah, any journo that knows how to ask a question and that's yep. not afraid to ask a question. Brilliant. Good yeah, answer. needs more news, need more news hounds on the boundary. Mm. That's what we need on the boundary, people that know how to do the job. Yeah, is there an example you like? Is there someone you... Oh, well, just look at... I'll just throw a few names that we had. We had Andy Marr, we had uh, yeah. Mark Howard, Channel 9 had Tony Jones, yeah. uh, those sort of guys that, that know how to, to uh, ask, aren't afraid to ask the hard questions and uh, won't have the wool pulled over their eyes. Mm. Your favourite TV show of all time? Simpsons is right up there. <laughs> yeah. 
Seinfeld's right up there. I was, I was, I was hoping you could say Seinfeld. I, yeah. I'm a big Seinfeld man. I'm watching it again. I've put it on. Oh, I'm watching yeah. It from the start again. So good. Simpsons and Seinfeld, probably. Yeah. 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 They're the yeah. ones. They're the ones. If you could swap places with anyone in the world for a whole week, who would it be? Scott Morrison. <laughs> yeah. That's a good answer. What moves would you make? <laughs> Get uh, political now. Yeah. Oh, it's, that's not a political thing. There's just things you'd like you'd, you'd like to see if you could implement them. Yeah. There's some pretty basic things that need to be done. Yeah. And you just wonder why they're not being done. And that's yeah. that's no slight. I'm not talking Labor, Liberal, yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you could say the same. I could be in Dan Andrews' shoes for yeah. a week. Yeah. You just get so frustrated at the... At the, at the games that are played and you, you just like to maybe be in there for a week. So I wonder if I could make a difference. Probably not. But it'd be like, it'd be fascinating to be in there for a it week. Would to, be. to see if you could. And you could do some things that are just screaming out that need to be done. Yeah. I wonder if you could implement them. But uh, it's, a, it's a weird game, politics. It is, it is. Good answer, Quarters. <laughs> Last one, your favourite song of all time, Quarters. What is it? Hey Jude. Hey Jude, the Beatles. Yeah. Very Hard nice. To Hard to beat. Hard to beat. Very nice. And you're hard to beat, Quarters. Absolute pleasure, mate, to talk with you and unpack your story. I look up to you greatly. I honestly do. You're a professional and you're someone. You're the voice of my childhood, mate. I love your work and I appreciate you coming on today to have a chat. Well, that's very kind of you to say, James. That's uh, very humbling. So my pleasure. Thanks for having me.